Sorry for the late start, everybody. I got talking. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, we'll get started. Welcome, everybody. Hopefully, we'll have some late travelers in this morning. I'm Holly Packiam. For those, I think I've probably met everybody, so I don't need to do all the same introductions. Um, but we are going to be getting into our third session of spiritual parenting, and I apologize up front if I crackle or I'm getting over a cold, so hopefully I won't be crackling or coughing or anything, but I apologize ahead of time if I am. Um, so as we've been saying this whole time um, since we started, that we're going to be focusing on this idea of us as parents being the primary disciplers of our kids. So that's the foundation of everything we're going to be talking about. Uh, let's start with prayer and then we'll get into our groups and have a little discussion before we get dig into the content. So, Lord, we come to you today, Lord, and we um, lift up our, our personal lives as parents to you, our, the lives of our children, our whole families, Lord. We give them to you, Lord. We ask that you would teach all of us to, to know what it looks like to be a spiritual parent, Lord, to come to you rather than working and leading our children and caring for them in our own strength, Lord. But we pray that you would help us to have eyes to see what you're doing in our family and ears to hear you, Lord. And we pray for um, the strength that only comes from you to follow you. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, yeah, let's, let's get into our groups, and you can get into the same groups. I think some people are missing, so if you need to get into a new group, that's great. Um, whatever works, and introduce yourself if you haven't already. And let me get the slide up here. And just share what you, if there's something from the past week's content that you've been reflecting on, just share with people in your group about that. Um, maybe something particular stuck out to you and you keep thinking about that. So just anything that you've been reflecting on this week from last week's content of um, cultivating faith and storytelling. So we'll just break for a few minutes. Okay, well hopefully you had a little bit of time to connect and reflect on last week. We're going to get started. Um, this week we're going to be talking about two environments, and the two of them are identity and faith community. So it's kind of a lot. Hopefully, hopefully we'll get through it all. Um, let's see. Looking for. So I don't, are any of you familiar with The Hobbit? Any Hobbit J.R.R. Tolkien fans in here? Yes. So there's this great quote um, that you've probably all heard um, from. Uh, Bilbo Baggins, one of the main characters, that he says, there's more to you than what you know. And kind of the context here is that um, the magician Gandalf is telling him, telling him this and him thinking about his heritage and his background and thinking, you know, I don't have what it takes to complete or do this mission. Um, and I, it just seems like we could all probably relate to that, right? That um, we can think about our own choices or our family's lineage and think about all the mistakes or all the brokenness in our families and think, well, what do I really have to offer? It's just me and, you know, my family heritage are just so normal. And sometimes I think we forget that we, that, that God, you know, being in us and then working through us and the Holy Spirit working through us is this, like, royal heritage in us. And I wonder if we walked around really grabbing hold of that and really believing that, if that would change at all how we interacted with people or how we made decisions, and um, that looks different for all of us, but I think for me, the more I've 
grabbed hold of it, the more confidence it's given me in what I have a sense that God's called me to do, the more I really believe and daily walk in um, my identity in Christ. And I kind of wish this was one of those things that was one and done, don't you? That like, okay, once we really grabbed hold of our identity in Christ that, okay, now I'm done. I don't have to think about this anymore, like many areas of walking with the Lord. But I, I think it's a kind of a constant renewing of our mind in a sense of continuing to come back to in our, whether it's your devotional life or your prayer life, uh, reading the word that we remind ourselves that this is who I am, this is what God's called me to, and we'll get into more of what that looks like. The spiritual parenting is about faith, passing on faith to the next generation, and um, you know, do we have a sense that God has called us for a specific purpose? And like we talked about last week, the fact that God has invited us into this grand narrative is, you know, a wonderful gift and sometimes a bit intimidating. You know, what is, what is my purpose? And I think as, as parents and adults sitting in here, maybe some of us have a, have a sense of that. And maybe some of us are like, I don't, I don't, it's hard to know for myself what that is. And so how do I, how do I talk to my kids about this? How do I help them, them to see this? Um, and I think thinking about us being invited into this grand narrative, it's really only because of Christ that, that, that the reason that we have this place is because of him. I'm thinking back to a story for me in my walk of kind of this thing starting to be sealed in me. And I was about 18. Um, I'd grown up in, in a community where there was probably mostly nominal Christians. I, I didn't know very many people that would have really talked about their faith or would have encouraged me in my faith. And so I think that made my faith journey through junior high and high school really difficult because I had my parents or especially my mom really encouraging me in that, but no one else around me. And so um, I would have called myself like a wishy-washy Christian, just sort of, you know, I could be uh, engaged with people talking about that if they were there, but if they weren't there, I was kind of going with the flow to some extent. And um, when I finally, when I was about 18 years old, I decided to go on a mission trip with my youth group to Juarez, Mexico with YWAM. So that was, and actually my first time to Colorado was going to Trinidad, Colorado. They have a YWAM training center there. And so I went, got to see Colorado for the first time and fainted, which is kind of a side story, but fainted for, because of the altitude. And that was fun. But otherwise, other than that, it was really a fun, a fun training. Um, and so then, anyways, eventually getting to Juarez, um, it, was, it was really one of the first times that I really remember having this sense of God, kind of the sense of him speaking to me, of him calling me to something. And I felt less of this kind of being pulled by the tide and more of really being drawn to what the Lord was calling me to. And so I had this sense that there was a little bit of that identity piece being sewn into my heart at that point that he was saying, Holly, I've called you to something more than just doing whatever you feel like doing or doing whatever someone else is leading you to be doing. I think I was very, I've, I've always been very social. And so I think I was very, what I would call peer dependent and just kind of wanted to be liked and wanted to um, be seen as someone who was friendly and loving with whoever I was with, so I'd kind of go with that. And so this is the first time that I felt like maybe I need to step away from that and go, go, with, a different, go with a different way of life. And so this was just before I went to college. And so 
Um, I made the decision to go to a Christian school, which is something different than anyone else. And for me at that point in my life, I know that's not for everyone, but for me, it was something I really needed to get myself out of an environment, certain environment to kind of reset. And so this was just the start of, of that journey towards God saying, no, I have, I have called you. You are a child of God. And I was starting to kind of grasp a hold of that. So I bet for many of you can kind of maybe think of something like that. Or for, some, for me, actually, most of my life, I haven't had experiences like that. It's mostly been the slow, you know, the Lord drawing and kind of leading and teaching me. But this was kind of a switch of direction. Um, so when we receive God's identity for us, we experience a freedom. And that's exactly what, what I felt, that I think having not fully decided what direction to go, I was feeling, I felt so much tension and I felt torn so much of the time. And then finally when I decided, no, this is the way I'm going. I'm not looking back. All of a sudden I did feel this freedom. And I don't think freedom means things are easy, right? But at least we're, we're on a trajectory. We're having a posture toward the Lord. And I think he can work with us in that versus if we're still trying to dabble in other things, then we constantly feel this back and forth. And so I think finally, after years of not knowing where, which direction I was going, I did feel a sense of freedom. So let's talk for a few minutes about that. I would imagine all of you are kind of thinking about your own life and thinking, you know, where has God been working you and shaping him to be um, more like him, shaping you to be more like him. So let's, um, is a different question than I thought it was going to be. <laughs> okay, so let's think about this for our children. Um, so when you think about your children and where they're getting you their source of identity, um, what are some of the sources that, that you think um, that tell your children who they are? When you think about the message, you can think about your own life where you've received the messages of your own identity. But now think for your children. Um, what what's What's kind of coming into their life, whether is it you know, your voice or other people's voices or television or, depending on their age, billboards, um, books, music. Um, if you were to ask them, you know, so what do you think these sources are saying? If you were to say, ask them, life depends on this. And if they're young, this might be kind of hard. Maybe you can ask, answer it for yourself if they're super little. But um, if, if, you, if they were to kind of describe, what do they think life's about? What does life depend on? What would they say based on what's coming into their life to tell them? what their identity is. So let's just take a few minutes to talk about that. Okay, we're going to bring it back in. Hopefully you've had a little bit of time to process this and hearing some of you talking about some of the, some of the things that people say to your kids or what they hear about. So I think it's, it is a constant thing for us and for them, right, that people send them messages, whether it's, you know, people's voices or through other things. And so... We're constantly, you know, needing to 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 counter that, right? To to bring a different kind of voice. But I think we're also tempted to want to create and mold our children in our own image, um, and that, you know, we we all there's kind of a temptation, or there can be to want them to be like us, and that thinking that that's like Christ. And sometimes it can be maybe having our personality or having doing the things we do. And I think as a younger parent, I didn't think this would be a temptation for me that, oh, no, I'm just going to let them 
be whoever God has created them to be. But I think as they're getting older and I'm seeing things come out, there's certain things that are like, okay, like that, you know, something I totally have no interest in or a personality trait that I'm completely different than that you just, like, I cannot understand why you process this way or why you say this or, and those things don't really go away, right? They sort of keep, and so those are some of the hardest things, I think, for Glenn and I, that those things, those are the things where we're constantly having, I'm constantly having to pray, Lord, show me how to, to, you know, show me how to embrace that, that you've made them in this way, that you've called them to this and how to encourage that. And I can get really, really frustrated. Um, and sometimes it's maybe giving the child to the other parent in, in a moment where you're like, I don't, I don't know how to handle this or I don't know how to encourage this. Um, so part of this, I think, for us is dying to ourselves and, <clears throat> excuse me, in our own ambitions for our children and asking God to continually reveal his plan for their life. And we have to think that God is really writing their story, not us, and that um, to continue to find ways to encourage that. So I want to take a look at this scripture from Ephesians. Um, and if some of the headlines that you're seeing, if you read the chapters, these are some of the kind of bold main sections that Michelle outlined. So that's kind of what we're following today. But the scripture in Ephesians 1, 3 through 8 says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus. Do I have the right one up? No, sorry. There we go. Um, the Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us to be adopted as his sons through Jesus Christ, in accordance with his pleasure and will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us with all the wisdom and understanding. So I'm, I think as I've grown in Christ, I'm continually reminding myself, as we said at the beginning, that I'm a child of God, a daughter of the Most High King. And these are the kinds of things that I want to run through my children's head. But as we talked about before, how many people in our, you know, in our children's life are sort of saying this to them or encouraging them in this? Um, and I want to, I have to continually pray that the Lord would remind me to tell them that, remind me to speak that truth into my own life. Um, I think I mentioned last week a little bit about reading um, Life of the Beloved by Henry Nouwen, and I really recommend that book if you haven't read it. And Henry Nouwen is just a great author in general, has written so many wonderful things. But um, that, um, that story and that, that really encouraged me in my walk of really understanding who I am. And here's a, I have a quote from him that there's so many, but this is one that stood out to me. He says, aren't you like me, hoping that some person, thing, or event will come along to give you that final feeling of inner well-being that you desire? Don't you often hope, may this book or idea or course, trip, job, country, or relationship fulfill my deepest desire? But as long as you are waiting for that mysterious moment, you will go on running helter-skelter, always anxious and restless, always lustful and angry, never fully satisfied. You know that this is the compulsiveness that keeps us going and busy, but at the same time makes us wonder whether we are really getting anywhere in the long run. This is the way to spiritual exhaustion and burnout. This is the way 
to spiritual death. I think as much as we know that none of these things can satisfy us, can create our identity, it's easy, isn't it, to sort of kind of think that it actually will, or, you know, I'm going on this thing and this will bring me the rest or the enjoyment that I want. But then eventually those things kind of fall by the wayside if we don't, if we aren't really rooted deeply in this love of the Lord. Um, I'm thinking of this uh, story also of a conference, and I, I think some of you were there. I know Sarah was there at this um, women's conference that I went to in the spring, and there was a speaker there, and she was talking about um, her, just kind of some of her journey, and I won't go into the whole thing, but just a small part of it is that she, um, she went to college and sort of thought she would marry, find her husband in college and get married sort of like most of her friends, and that didn't end up happening, and so she ended up pursuing a career, and this career just kind of kept on being for many, many years what, what her life um, became and just wasn't her plan, didn't, wasn't what she expected at all, no, didn't find for many years her, her husband. So when she was much older than she thought she would be when she got married, she finally did get married and she um, married um, her husband and, and had inherited some stepchildren and I think, can't remember how long it was after, maybe a couple weeks, I remember she said, I just woke up and said, this is it? Like after, and she loved her husband, she loved her life, but just it really, you know, it stood out to me that she sort of thought, I'm like, this is what's really going to bring me so much ultimate fulfillment. And of course, we love our family and our spouses and our children, and those things do bring so much joy. And I think God brings us joy and fulfillment and love through that. But ultimately, if we aren't deeply rooted, um, that we are Christ's beloved child, then I think we will more easily kind of be swayed. And then, as we talked about with our kids, that, that that affects our ability to really plant that message deep into their hearts. Because if we don't really have that, and that's okay if we don't, we're, we're on a journey. We can talk to our kids that, you know, depending on where they're at, where, where we're struggling with. But I think if we can really get a hold of that as parents and adults, then it's easier for us to, to, to encourage our kids in that and say, this is who you are. This is who God's called you to be. Um, we've, I mean, as many of you, we have things day to day where our kids are making mistakes or getting in fights or, um, you know, doing things to each other. And, um, I'm constantly trying to remind them that, you know, despite what they've done, that they, they are, you know, to one child, I might say, you are a loving sister, but what you just did was not kind. Um, but this is, it's been a new language for me to acquire to do this. It's easier just to say, that was wrong, and just stop, and let's move on, and be done with it, right? Um, but calling them, continuing to call them up to who God's created to be, and say, this is who you are. This is, you know, you are God's child. You were created this way, but we all, we all do things that hurt other people, but truly, this is not who you are. Um, I'm thinking of a story with one of my kids probably about a year ago where we had some issues with lying and it was one of those situations where you're talking to the child and it's just so obvious with the particularities that this is obviously a lie and you're thinking how can this child stand in front of me and say no that did not happen and you're going it's so obvious you know it's not like oh it's we're trying to uncover this like without going into all the details of it it was just very obvious like this child knows that, you know, this, it's kind of like right in front of us what happened. And, um, but you could see kind of the, the guilt coming on the child's face of what had happened. 
And so it took, I decided, I was actually really angry in the moment, but decided, okay, we're just going to leave this for the moment and come back to it because no fruit is going to be, um, it's not, not going to come about from me dealing, I think it was like right before church too. I'm like, okay, we just have to go and we'll talk about this later. Um, so we came back and revisited it and the child ended up saying, yes, like this is, I did lie about this and this is why and explaining all of it. And a big part of me wanted to give a consequence or, you know, for, for this. But I thought, I guess I've kind of come to the belief that most of the time consequences will give you control in the moment. And sometimes, especially with little kids, that's what, that's what needs to happen. But they don't really teach anything that often, unless it's a natural consequence. Like the, you ask them to wear their coat, they say no, and they go out and they're freezing. Yes, like they will hopefully get the picture, like they had, they received their own natural consequence. But the kind of consequence that just isn't related, like they, you know, I'm trying to think, like they um, hit their brother and then you're like, well, you're going to sweep up the floor for the next five nights. Well, they may learn some work ethic, but it, it, there might not be that connection made, right, that, that they're learning anything about why they should not hit, um, and so often I think, and this is hard when they're little, I know it's so hard and it's hard to figure out what to do when they're little for them to really get these things to sink in. But as they get older, I think the conversations that, that you can possibly have and the prayer with them will have more power than a random consequence. So I'm finally getting there with our kids and so back to the story, um, we really processed and talked and I was able to ask questions like, where do you, where do you think this desire is coming from? And with the particularities of the situation, there were some things that kind of, you know, made sense to me of why the lie was, cho- you know, why it was chosen to lie. Um, but I really think leaning in in this situation and talking about it and praying and just saying, you know, I don't believe you sh- this child wanted to say that I'm never going to do this again, you know, and I can control this. And um, and I don't think it was something that necessarily became this long hopefully, unless I don't know what's going on now, but a long-standing issue, um, that really bringing it to the Lord and saying, you know, you are not a liar. You chose to lie in this situation, but that's not who God has called you to be. And I want to join you and continue praying with you that, that the Holy Spirit will, you know, prompt you in those situations where you might feel tempted to do that or illuminate something to you. And, um, and really bring God into it versus just giving some kind of a, a consequence. But I know this is a journey for all of us of getting there. And I know the struggle of having little ones of like, what do you do in this situation? It can be, it can be really challenging. Um, and I think for, yes, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Right. I think it's never too early, like even at, you know, three to try to plant those seeds of that. And then I think by the time they get older, that it will become more natural. Like I would say probably like my youngest being five, she's really starting to get it now. And we have a spot where we'll go and she's like, let's go have a talk about this, you know? And so we'll go to our special spot and um, talk through it. And I honestly think I see more fruit from that than if I were to just give a consequence and you, you feel better that you have control as a parent, but then 
I, I haven't really seen a lot of fruit from it. But, I, yeah, so I think just doing it even when you feel like it's not doing anything, and, you, and then by the time they're old enough to really get it, it'll be more of an easy transition. If that, does that help? Yeah. <clears throat> Remind me of your name. Megan. Megan, okay. May, I don't know if you heard Megan's question. She's asking with timeouts, um, do I think of it more as like a consequence or more as like a time to kind of regroup or calm down? Um, over the years, we have gone to, I've just kind of changed the language based on some influences that I've had to more of a, basically it's similar to the concept of a timeout, but a time in. And but just so that I'm not removing them, I haven't wanted to send the message of, I'm sending you away and it's because you're being bad and you need to go somewhere else. And as soon as you can get it together, however long that takes, then you can come back and be in my presence or our family's presence. But we, we weren't always there. This has been something we've kind of um, moved toward over the past few years. Um, but I've, I, I think of it the latter thing that you said, uh, Megan, about more as this is not a punish. Having me have you sit here near me isn't really a punishment. Like, even then, this isn't a punishment, like you just need to sit there until, because you're being bad, but this is a time for you to regroup until we can talk about this. Because we've had many situations where, even when they're little, we're just out of control. Someone's having a meltdown, they're screaming, and you're thinking, you know, I think some of the things I've learned about the brain, um, there's a really great book called The Whole Brain Child, if you haven't read that, but and there's some other people who've written about children's brains, and, and really adults' brains too, but our, when, when kids are having fits or melting down, um, in their brain, they, it's really shut down when, when the wiring kind of fires so strongly, when they're so upset that whatever, you know, it's that t moment when you want to say, okay, you need to stop doing this. And, you, you know, whatever all the things that you need to calm down, whatever we want to say or naturally say, they really are not taking in any of it. Like their brain is completely shut down. And so all of it is kind of fruitless speak on our part. Um, and so I would say let's... Let's just, whatever, even if they're really little or if they're older. With my older kids, you know, we'll say, let's just take a break. And so I'm not sending them away as a punishment, but let's just have some space to calm down, and we'll regroup in whatever it is, five minutes. I have one that takes a lot longer. It might be a few hours <laughs> before we can come back, and I have to remind myself not to forget what was happening <laughs> to, to come back and talk about it. So does that help a little bit? Okay. Yeah, Kelly. Yeah, I think I would probably just go with them, and so sometimes I will, yeah, sometimes I will have them around me, or if that is the situation, I will just take them with me. So for us, if it's, we have our kitchen, I might just take them around the corner, but stay with them, and just kind of let them do their thing, if, if it is a fit, or if it is an ad, just kind of sit with them, 
hopefully that, you know, if, if it's in a dinner situation, you're hopeful that they can get it together, but sometimes it doesn't work out that way, right? But just kind of sitting with them in it and knowing that you're not saying you're bad, you're going away, but I'm going to sit here. I mean, maybe a conversation could possibly happen, but if they're just not in that mood, then maybe it's just kind of sitting with them and knowing that you're there and comforting them and saying, it's okay, I'm going to love you through this and Anyone else? <laughs> no, this is good. Okay. All right. Um, I, sometimes we can also make identity statements about our kids um, or other people can about who they are. And, you know, it might be things like comments that people make, like, oh, you're so athletic or oh this child's so shy or and you might sort of hear these kind of repetitive things whether it's from family or whatever you know oh um you know it might be easy to say oh this child is always so impatient and and I have a few things in my mind with my kids like oh I've really got to work on not not saying things and not speaking these things because I have my own things in my mind of like this is what I was always this or I was always that and I know how powerful those words can be um and so I'm, I'm trying to think on a day-to-day basis, even if it's just one child, I'll try to think, okay, what can I do to speak life to this child today to say, um, like I have one child who's, you know, I might say something like, you are so organized and so detailed, and this blesses me and our family so much. Um, and then now we're going to move to just talking about kind of the prayer part of the blessing. Um, We can offer them a blessing with our words, so what, just encouragement or in praying for them. Romans 12.2 says, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, good and pleasing, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Um, and so I think as we're talking about God as speaking words of life to us, but how can we as a parent speak blessing to our kids? And I really... I, I love this whole book, but this is, was really one of the parts that spoke out to me most about um, Michelle doing this and in different parts of her ministry. She'll, she'll really emphasize this and um, talk about this quite a bit. Um, so this can look like maybe, it's, maybe you do have a consistent time or maybe you want to build a consistent time to build blessing into your home, I think maybe one of the easiest times or where naturally you're typically with your kids is at night. And so sometimes we'll do just, a, if I'm at this stage of our life, we're putting, Glenn and I are kind of switching off, putting our little ones to bed and then the other one will go and talk to our older girls. Um, but there, you could do something like a group prayer over everyone or maybe there'd be nights or moments when you could pray specifically for each child. Um, Sometime probably this past week, I was with the younger ones, and um, it could be something like, Jonas, you know, I pray over you that you would continue to be courageous and confident in who God has called you to be, and that wherever you go tomorrow in your day, that you would be um, kind and loving. And so I also really love this idea of being specific, and I think, you know, whatever it is, if it's prayer or encouragement, something specific always touches our hearts. So it's even for you that as adults, that when someone really says something really specific about what you did, that um, that, that 
it really has a power, I think, a sticking power in our hearts. That, of course, it's nice to hear that something was good. Um, just any encouragement is welcome, right? But I think um, when someone will take the time and the, the thoughtfulness to really be specific about, about us or about our kids, um, but it takes more energy, doesn't even in praying for them, like to really be specific about what you have a sense of what that child needs for this season or for where they're at. Um, and I was thinking about one of my other kids, the one I was telling you about that's really organized and um, just praying over her that, just I was thinking about her that she has a mind that brings chaos into order, like something specific like that, that Maybe it's thinking it through before, throughout the day. If it's like, oh, I can't, I can't think of how to be that specific in the moment, but maybe it's taking some time throughout the day to think, how can I, what, what is it that God has really shown me about this specific child, and how can I or specifically pray for them? Another idea that my kids came up with, I think I've said before that at dinner we try to have some kind of a family conversation. And so the other night I just threw out, how, what's, let's just have an idea brainstorm about how can we encourage and bless each other in this season of fall and being grateful for one another. And so they were all about coming up with like 15 ideas. <laughs> so I'm like, okay, let's just narrow in and maybe we can actually make one of these happen. So the one that we kind of narrowed in on was um, the girls wanted, I think like at Hobby Lobby or something, they have little, we've had them years ago, but little mailboxes, just little metal mailboxes, and that everyone would have one, and that they would pick, like, a secret um, sibling. Like, they would figure out how they could, have for a week, how can I bless my sibling? And it would be anonymous, although they'd probably figure it out within a day <laughs> if they saw the writing or something. But they could write, you know, scriptures, or they could write specific encouragement to each other. And obviously, the little ones would need more help than the older ones, but... Even just asking them to kind of come up with these ideas is a really neat thing rather than me saying, okay, I have this idea, let's follow through with this. But of course, if they're little, that will be what you're doing. <laughs> but for my older ones, it was kind of neat to see how they, how, what their ideas were of trying to bless each other. Um, and thinking of other ideas too, of, I think about family traditions and Michelle talked about this in the book, just thinking about, and so for some of you, you might have these already, or your families have them. I didn't really come from a family with traditions, and so it's just something I started to kind of kind of think about more, and like, what what is the place, and just depending on how you're wired, you know, this may be more or less important to you, and I think I really wanted just some key things throughout our year for our kids specifically to be able to to come back to, and it kind of actually helped me not to have to think of new things all the time. Like, okay, every year we do this. So one of the things that we've kind of um, done, a lot of these have just developed over the years, and sometimes it's like, oh yeah, we actually are doing this every year, so I guess it is a tradition. <laughs> but one of the things that we've tried to be intentional about is for everybody's birthday, is having everyone go around and specifically say, um, what they're thankful for and what they're grateful for about, like we do a birthday breakfast and maybe it's just one thing and if they're little, you know, it might be funny or random, but at least they're getting in kind of, they're, they're starting to get in with the family about this is, this is who we are, this is what we do as we bless and encourage each other. And so it's been neat to see over the years um, and the kids are doing it for us too. And so this past year I had, I almost could cry thinking about it, just the, my older girls wrote the most beautiful 
letters to me of like, wow, just, just from the like little words, you know, from when they're young to like, wow, they're starting to see me a little bit, you know, so anyway, sorry. Woo! <laughs> Um, and then I'm, like, stuffy already, so I'm, like, <sighs> um, let's see. Okay, let's discuss this for a minute. So when your children are grown, what are some of the things you want them to be able to say about who they are? So, like, when, they, when someone says, you know, rather than just what they do or what, what, what they've accomplished – what, what do you want them to be able to say about who they are? All right, let's talk about that for a few minutes. Okay, we're going to move on now past, um, hopefully you've had some good talks on identity, and we're going to talk about faith community now. We don't have quite as much time to talk about this one. So I like this quote by Catherine Stonehouse, and she says, the faith of children is most likely to grow when they have the opportunity to associate with adults who are growing persons who know and love God. The child's faith is inspired when he or she belongs to an inclusive community that seeks to live out God's love. So I think we all probably know and have a sense that no no man is an island, that no that that on our own that it's hard to pursue the things of God and that I hope and pray for all of you that here at New Life Downtown that you have found a sense of community and in some way, whether it be through meal groups or other groups or um, there can be all sorts of ways that you can find that maybe here you're, you're gaining some new relationships. Um, but we aren't meant to do this Christian life alone. Um, as the battle rages against our identity, the faith community brings us strength. I think in our culture, and the way many of us live, it's, you know, we often don't live near people that we know, and it's easy to be isolated, even if we're not trying to do that, but just by the nature of life and all that is required of us as parents and in work and all of the things that we do on a day-to-day -day basis, that it's, it's easy to sort of live even within our families. Um, and think we're called to support each other as fellow believers and choosing to put our trust in the Lord that he will he will bring that about in our lives in some way and praying for that if we don't don't have a sense of that now and for our children as well that the importance of finding community for them surrounding you know them with with fellow believers I think for many of us there's probably many of us sitting here who don't live around family or fortunate if you do have family in town I think just the the nature of the way, you know, we've got in our generation is people, I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm that person chosen to, to move away and, and lived, Glenn and I lived in Colorado Springs for about 13 years without having any family here at all. And so, which on one hand, it's, you know, you, you really rely on your church community as your family. And we um, stretched ourselves and um, asked for help when we needed it, were vulnerable and reached out to others in those same positions. And so, Family is all of that, but I think sometimes it can feel harder when you don't have family. Um, and I think for those of you who especially have little kids, I'm sure this can be maybe extra, extra challenging to, to get out and make, the, at least I remember for us when our kids were really, really little, to make the concerted effort to be, sometimes it's just easier to stay at home. 
than it than to to get out. It can be stressful. I can remember so many meal groups walking around with the baby and hearing the conversation far away and feeling like, oh, I just can't, I can't be a part of this, but at least I'm here trying to be grateful for the time and the conversations that are possible. Um, the, um, <laughs> hello, <laughs> she's making herself. Um, we started, so before New Life Downtown, Glenn and I were part of Sunday night services at New Life, and we started a meal group out of that with um, some volunteers and um, leaders at that time, and then carried that. So we were probably did that meal group for about seven years, and we actually just um, just decided to um, close it and to do something different. Um, but when I think back about those times and the consistency of that over the years and the phases that, that people went through and the challenges and the joys that people went through, it's it's just so wonderful to think back on that. And five years ago, so some of those people stayed, and it, it's changed over time. But we, we did have a core group who, who, were, who was there that whole time. But about, so five years ago, we started New Life Downtown. And at that time, I was, I kind of mark our last child's, birth by starting that. So it doesn't seem if I were to plan it out to like have a fourth baby and start a new congregation probably doesn't make the most sense, but that's that's the way it ended up happening. Um, but I had the hardest transition into having that child and had a lot of postpartum issues and just was a really, really difficult year. And very humbling thinking we're supposed to be leading this congregation and I really wanted to be involved and wanted to be a part, and I felt like I can't do anything. I can't really give. I can't serve and be doing the teardown and whatever <laughs> things you imagine yourself being able to do with starting starting a, a church. And so it was one of those situations where I wanted to be strong, but I wasn't, and I can remember vividly certain moments of our leaders and friends just jumping in and helping us when I wanted to be helping them and supporting them. And one specific moment was, uh, so Jane was a, our most difficult baby, probably just cried all the time, and that didn't help my, you know, situation how I was feeling. But um, Glenn was traveling one week, and often this season of life, I would have friends come and stay with us because I just felt very overwhelmed alone, and just having a baby, just, I felt completely overwhelmed when I had four children. It's like, this is a lot of kids, and I don't know how to do this. <laughs> And the older ones were running everywhere, and I'm sitting there with the baby and by myself. And um, so Karen and Evan Riedel came to stay with me when Glenn traveled on this trip. And Jane had gotten an ear infection. And babies with ear infections are just so challenging, aren't they? <laughs> but she was just screaming and screaming, and you know that they're in pain. But it was one of those, I'm walking and walking and walking, and... I feel like I'm going to fall down. Like, I just, I, I had such a vivid memory imprinted in my mind because I literally felt like I'm going to fall over physically. Like, I just completely depleted my energy. So Karen and Evan came over, and they're like, we're going to take over for you. We're going to let you go to sleep. And I'll just never forget that. Like, it just stands out in my mind so much as what faith community is all about, right? Just coming to us when we don't really want to ask for help, when we're in such great need, and I remember sitting outside of Jane's room with her screaming, just, Karen's like, Holly, it's going to be okay, like, you, you can go to sleep, and just, but it took a while, I, I don't, actually, I don't know, 
I fell asleep, so Karen was dealing with it, and Evan was there too, and so there was enough people, because those are vulnerable moments as parents, aren't they, where you feel like, are they really going to be okay? Like, I don't, I don't want to go to sleep because you don't know, like, you, you're pretty sure it's going to be fine, but it's just can be kind of scary moments when they're so sick and screaming, and you think, what if I don't understand, what if I don't know enough about what's going on here, and it's just hard to, to let them alone or just to go to sleep even but anyway so that moment just really sticks out in my mind I can think of so many other people who just in my time of desperation and feeling like I was just really low and completely overwhelmed and down people showed up at my door with Starbucks or so just just a testimony of how people can be the you know really show God's love that this was how I really feel like this was how God was showing me that he saw me, despite how I felt and despite that that wasn't going away or my troubles weren't going away, that he was bringing his love to me through our faith community. Um, and so that, that's part of the reason we, have, we really emphasize meal groups at New Life Downtown is because we want to find ways for people to connect into community and to be that for each other. And I think our kids see that too. They see what we're doing. They see what choices they're bringing them into. And um, but I know as with little ones, it can be challenging to feel like how can I how can I be a part of this and how can I commit to this with just the ups and downs of sickness and all these different things. But I do think with the consistency that you see the fruit of it over time. Um, so let's talk for a few minutes about your experience with faith community here or elsewhere. Uh, let's see. So let's, when we think about our, our children, um, so we, we think about as a family unit, how can we be in community with others as a family? And if you have maybe older kids, you might be starting to ask questions like, how can I be intentional with their friendships. We know as kids get older, their friendships, who they're choosing to be around is so important. How can I facilitate or try to facilitate those relationships, whether it be a youth group or a small groups or various things like that. So let's talk about how we can intentionally and strategically set up an environment where your kids can be a part of faith community. Okay, we're going to keep going for a little bit longer here. We don't, we have about five minutes left already. Well, hopefully some of you were able to share some of, process some of the ways that you've been able to engage in our community with um, your family and children, or maybe you, hopefully you got some ideas from other people that you hadn't thought of. Um, and I just want to talk about a little bit about kind of the practicality of it. Um, I think some of you, you know, you might have a different role in forming groups or being involved in groups. I think some people feel like they're called to be the initiator in situations of bringing our faith community together. And some of you may feel like, I'm, I'm maybe I am, but I'm not in a season of being able to do that. But um, I want to say to those of you who are conveners and initiators of this, just that can sometimes feel like a lonely place to be or you feel like, why am I the, always the one? initiating community and why won't other people <laughs> stand up and do this but maybe that is really a part of your calling that I have felt that at times and that maybe that's who who God's created you to be in the midst of your community that you're one who you're a convener you bring people together and um, 
you know, maybe for some of you others, you feel like, I actually don't, I don't feel like that. I have a hard time doing that. Or maybe it's a seasonal thing. I don't feel like I have the capacity to do that. But then maybe you can be a person who can come alongside someone else and support them and think about maybe I can bring things or maybe I can help organize or, you know, maybe I can encourage the person who's leading often. Um, but I think sometimes that may help us in figuring out where, where do we fit or, or what's our role for this season, kind of what, what our capacity is, what our strengths are, but that all of those, that God has given us all those things, that it's not bad or good to be in a particular role. If we have a sense of what our role is and that we're pursuing that, that that's likely exactly where you're supposed to be. Um, and I think as, as far as faith community, too, I also think about just our time in church and the tradition of doing these same things, these sort of the liturgical things together over and over again every every Sunday, that as a community, I think about what is what that is building in our kids and in our own lives, that, you know, worshiping together every week and confessing together every week and being at the table and praying for each other and hearing the word together, that, that I think that has a strong power in, in our life and in our kids' lives to really... Um, to root us um, in the Lord, and the, those will, you know, those will be things that they're, you're, we're building in them, and they'll remember, hopefully, as they, as they get older. I was thinking about um, Jewish culture and how children, they would have, I think, seven festivals a year, and, pe- like, that's, like, that's a lot of festivals, that's a lot of eating and dancing and being together, and often, you know, in their situations, they were likely with family and extended family and friends. But a lot of times these festivals would last for many days. And so just kind of the, the nature of having those things built into their lives is just part of their culture is really different than what we have, that we have to be so much more intentional. And something that's helped Glenn and I, <laughs> something that's helped Glenn and I is to take, you may have heard some of the other pastors at New Life Downtown talk about the rule of life, which could be a whole other topic, which I really love talking about. But basically it's a way of evaluating um, where you're at and being prayerful and asking the Lord to show you what <clears throat> he would have for you in this season is kind of a real simple way to say it. Um, but we do this periodically throughout the year and even, and I'm saying it in light of just figuring out what part of community that you're, that you want to be involved in and what you want to choose to do because it changes even in six months. You might think, okay, I've committed to these things, but I might need to reevaluate, <coughs> excuse me, for different reasons and, um, feel like, you know, maybe I've been doing some things for years, but I have a sense that the Lord is calling us to, you know, stop doing this and, and do something else for a particular, for a particular time. So sometimes I think it helps to do those re-evaluation, re-evaluation times where we don't feel like, oh, uh, I just don't know what the Lord is saying to us. But if we stop and take the time to reflect about what's important, and then as you have kids and more kids, and it becomes just more to think about and reflect on kind of what what the needs are um, for everyone. I really love um, how Michelle talks about um, Kairos, if you read part of this chapter, and being that just this opportune time, taking making the most of, in, in the sense of making the most of this opportunity for, for your family's life, for your children's life. And I'm sure many of you have heard this saying for parents. It says, the days are long and the years are short. Um, and many of you probably really feel, <laughs> really feel that right now. And uh, I find I've, I've, I've felt that for many, many years, that long, long days and 
looking back, thinking about these long days, and now I feel like just with some of the activity increasing in our life that it's it's going by it's going by faster. Um, something interesting in thinking about our kids and community and getting older. Barna did a study in 2010 that said. that on average in a public high school that there are about 12 evangelical Christians in every public high school. And this was it, yeah, 2010. So I think probably not the case in Colorado Springs, but <laughs> I'm guessing, but maybe nationwide that, that that was probably my experience growing up, but so maybe just nationwide that that is true. And so I would just, for us, we've even with our school choices for our kids and how that impacts our community, we've just been prayerful about that and and I think all of us are going to hear differently from the Lord about that, and it might be a seasonal thing, but I would just encourage you to really pray about that. Like, Lord, what do you have for our kids for, for schooling? Is it, is it, you know, public school or Christian school or home or maybe some kind of a combination? Um, but I really believe the Lord will speak to us, and what I'm doing is not what I ever imagined I would be doing. <laughs> My kids would have been, we started out in full-time school, and eventually I had a sense that I wanted to homeschool, and so it's been really an amazing and wonderful and challenging um, journey, but I really believe the Lord will speak to each of you about about that, and then I'm bringing that up because that really does impact our community, doesn't it, especially if they're in full-time school, then wherever they're at, that these are the these are the kids that are around them and influencing them, and then we've, we've just kind of got to work with that and figure out, okay, if they're, you know, in school with these people, then what kinds of other opportunities do I want to have them engage in to have other believers to build them up, especially as they get older. So we're running out of time, but if you have, I guess maybe as we end, if you, ha- if you want to answer another question, um, you could talk about if there are we didn't really get to the section about um, serving together and reach. So there's this element of like bringing in the people in our faith community who will build our children up. And then there's the element as our kids get older and as our family, as we're reaching out and figuring out how can we welcome other people who may not believe. And, and, and that can be kind of a tricky thing of how we navigate that. And I think kind of kids' ages can determine that, what you feel like they're capable of, situations are capable of entering into with serving opportunities and things like that. Um, so we didn't quite get to that, but if you want to read the end of the chapter, it talks a little bit more about um, reaching out and bringing people in a little bit more. Um, so just a couple announcements before we end. I will not be here next week. I'm going on a trip to Nashville, um, which will be fun and um, work, but a lot of fun. I'm, I have the opportunity to go with Story Forms. I told you guys I've been a part of that, and so the ministry that I'm working with, um, they're going to a conference, and um, releasing a book with Sally Clarkson, one of the women that I partner with in ministry. And I actually, I was going to bring that book. Maybe I did. I wanted to recommend her book because it has so many ideas for life. So it's called, it's about to release October 3rd, so I'm going to help release this book. But it's called The Life-Giving Table, Nur- Nurturing Faith Through Feasting One Meal at a Time. So the whole book is just filled with ideas for their family of how they did this discipleship at the table, really. So really, really great ideas. There's kind of um, discipleship principles throughout it, and then kind of how this was lived out in their family. So I've really, really enjoyed enjoyed it. Um, so I don't... So
some of you may know Holly Newman. So there's going to be another Holly here next week. <laughs> Holly Newman from New Life North. She is the Parent Team Ministries coordinator there, works very closely with Michelle Anthony, and she has taught, taught this before. So she's going to be um, coming to talk about service and out of the comfort zone. Thanks for coming, everybody. Yeah, feel free to come up and ask me questions after. Have a wonderful Sunday.